back to Witch Alone's podcast. I'm your hostess, Danielle, and we'll be continuing the mini-series on diving into basic practice techniques. Today, we're going to be discussing spell work. I've been pretty excited to record because of how much I know it will help people. We're going to cover the who, what, where, when, why, and how of spell work. When is it appropriate or just lazy to perform a spell? What kind of witch do you want to be? Are you comfortable with the darker side of spellcasting, or do you only want to perform what is considered lighter magic? How do you put together a spell and how to be confident in your spellcasting? These are all things I'm going to discuss today. While I try to be as unbiased as possible when it comes to the information I share, I personally have a few guidelines I follow when making my spells. I read somewhere that the universe won't just hand something to you if you haven't put in the mundane effort. The best example of this I can give is that if you're trying to find a new job and do a spell to help bring the perfect job to you, but don't do any work on your end, then it probably isn't going to help you. You still need to put out resumes, check job boards, and go for interviews. The spell is just to help push that job into your view, but if you're not looking, you'll never find it. So when people ask me for spells, I tell them that if they haven't done any kind of work themselves, I'm not even going to put in any of my energy. The universe or deities don't reward laziness. So if you've been job searching for four months, going for interviews, putting in all the effort and still not getting anywhere, then ask for a little extra help. If you're trying to gain more self-confidence, you'll need to really look at your shadow self. Why do you have low confidence and where can you change that on a daily basis? This is my personal stipulation when it comes to spells. If you don't agree, that's okay. But for me, that's half of the when part of spellcasting. There's also the when half of literal timing. Times of the day, days of the week, months of the year, which moon phase, which zodiac time, which Sabbath. Without totally talking your ear off, which is sort of the point of having a podcast, I'll try and give you some more of the common and sought-after correspondences that will help with timing your spells later in the episode. Start with the who of your spell's intention. For the most part, witches that come to me for spell assistance are asking to help themselves. Better luck, better confidence, invisibility even. Obviously, if you're performing the spell for yourself, You don't need to worry about the repercussions so much. Unless you aren't being honest with your spell's intentions. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, after all. Depending on performing your spell for someone else, for, not on, it would be good to have a photo of your intendee with you during the process so you can focus your energy and intent, especially if you aren't super good with that process just yet. If someone has come to you for help and you choose to take on their request, make sure you are incredibly clear on what exactly they hope to achieve from the spell so that your intention is completely on track. They will probably be thinking about the spell, even if you tell them not to think about it so that it can manifest, so you should make sure your wires aren't crossing. If you're performing a spell on someone, you really need to make sure you know exactly what you are doing and what you want to achieve. Is it positive or negative? Are you sending out healing or protective energy out of love or something else? Now, I have never performed a spell on someone without their permission because I have never chosen to do what could be considered an evil spell. There are three types of intense spells you could perform on someone, and probably 90% of the witches I personally know would never perform them. Jinxes, Hexes, and Curses So a jinx is your lowest form of a negative type spell. I like to remember that J for jinx and J for joke. These are a pretty typical bad luck spell, hitting all red lights on the way to a meeting as an example. They are short term, they come and manifest the joke and then leave. Hexes are a step up from a jinx. They aren't usually as funny and have a specific time frame. 
this is more of an inconvenience than just bad luck. Maybe someone consistently misplaces their keys for a week. I can't think of anything worse because I haven't had an experience where I want to hex somebody. Curses are the most popular thing that people talk about. Everyone thinks they might be cursed because they're having a bad time. But honestly, if anything, it's probably a jinx or a hex. Curses are essentially hexes on steroids and they're usually pretty brutal. Maybe not so much in what they accomplish, but their time frame. Curses can span a soul's lifetime or a whole family lineage. If your whole family is cursed with, say, neglect, it doesn't sound super bad at first, but after generations, it can really weigh down. There are a lot of witches that tell you that you can't or shouldn't perform spells on anyone, especially without their permission, positive or negative. This is a common sentiment, especially if the first thing you researched and learned was the Wiccan rule of three. Please note here that I'm not talking about any other culture's rules or dogmas about how the universe responds to what you put into it. I am solely talking about the Wiccan practice of the rule of three and other witches' specific beliefs. It can be hard to get out of that mind frame if you move on from Wicca or are reading blogs that are written by a Wiccan practicing witch. My personal opinion is truly, do whatever you want. There's no guarantee that your spell, jinx, hex, or curse will even work for the person because maybe they have a lot of protecting wards up. Just because you will it doesn't mean it is going to work. Protection intentions can be just as powerful, if not more powerful, than a curse intention. No one can tell you how the universe or how energy or how whatever you believe in will react to your spell work. Especially if the spells you do all the time and they work well, someone can't tell you it's bad or not to do it. To the what of spell work. This is your materials and your tools in order to perform your spell. Now my take is that you have your own power and you don't actually need anything to perform spells. So why do we hell have a buttload of jars with dried herbs, 400 candles and crystals, and ornate tools at home? Because we're suckers for pretty witchy shit and need all of the herbs. Well, a lot of us are, I can't lump everyone in with my need for an entire pantry of dried herbs. different items you can use in your spells. We covered a lot of the tools you can use in the previous episodes, so when it comes to ingredients you can use to help channel your energy into your intention, I'm talking about things like herbs and crystals. There are a lot of good herb and correspondence books that will help you to figure out which herbs you could use for your spell. My go-to correspondence book is the Llewellyn's Book of Correspondences. It has everything in it, from intentions to deities to timings. It's not specific to Wicca or witchcraft, it just has everything in it. On top of herbs, you have crystals that you can either include in your actual spell work as an ingredient or have nearby as an energy booster on your altar. Candles are always a staple in witchcraft because, I mean, hey, witches and candles go together like Canadians and maple syrup, but the color of your candles can be what adds that little bit extra to your spell. You can correspond the color of your intention, like green for luck, blue for psychic ability, yellow or red for strength, black for banishing or protection. Incense is something that would help you connect to your spell work. I burn sandalwood every time I'm doing a spell or getting into my craft, and the smell of it kind of helps me to immediately ground my energy and get me into the mindset of working magic. Essential oils are also popular because you can make your own blends personal to you and your intention, as well as you can put some of them on your skin as mini spells to help you relax or get rid of a headache. Other things that, you, that can help you get into the groove of spell work can be ritualistic with things like clothing and jewelry, things you put on only when you're working spells. If you do this enough, you can probably put it on and immediately feel like you're in the groove.
two factors, spirituality and safety. Most witches have an altar, but if you're practicing somewhere where you can't have a permanently set up spiritual or sacred space, try and make sure that the space you use is the same. This is just so that you can have somewhere special to do your work, somewhere sacred and safe that you can be your natural witchy self and work your magic. This could be something as simple as a shoebox where you keep your ingredients on the inside and use the top of it to do your working, which is very easy because you can flip the box over and write symbols and things on it. You can also use outdoor altars. You can perform spells by the riversides, you can wash away a banishment smell, you can make or find a tree stump and meditate there or perform your spells in nature to be surrounded by that element. But you want to be careful working with any open flames out in nature. We don't want to burn down a whole forest. Which brings me to the second factor, performing safe spells. Don't leave candles unattended and don't burn them around paper or window curtains. It's also probably not a good idea to have candles on the floor and be wearing a large billowing cloak. If you have pets or have young kids that will be in the same area that you work in after you're done working, you want to make sure that you really clean up any herbs or wax drippings as some of these things can be poisonous or fatal if ingested. Safety first, witches. There are several lists out there that will break down literally every hour of the day from midnight to noon and back around to midnight. And when I find these lists, they are very specific to certain issues or intentions. There are so many that I am not going to list them all off here. What I will list is the sun's so-called phases during the day, the moon phases that happen throughout any given month, and this gives you more options for trying to time your spells. So we have dawn, the first light after the evening. This is before the sun has actually risen. This is a great time for beginnings, for making plans, and prefer for performing healing spells. Sunrise, as the sun grows into view, this time can be used for any kind of spells that involve growth, nurturing, and any type of renewals. Morning, this time is anywhere between when the sun can be fully seen in the sky until high noon. In the way that shadows decrease, this is a good time for performing spells to heighten your consciousness and for revealing the shadows in your own life. High Noon. Corresponding with the Sun Tarot card, noon is a great time for anything involving strength, courage, protection, and success. Golden Hour. Well known to the photography community, this is the time of day in the late afternoon where the sun provides a kind of halo behind its subjects. This is a good time to shed light on situations and reveal secrets. Sunset. As the sun is disappearing, this coincides with releasing, letting go, and banishing. And Dusk. After the sun sets, but before the night truly blackens the world around you, dusk is a great time for divination, healing, and for psychic development. Now on to the phases of the moon. I'm going to include not only the issues and intentions you can use the moon phases for, but also the day they occur in the 28 to 30 day cycle. This occurs at the beginning and the end of the moon cycle, day zero and day 29-ish. This is great for deconstructive magic, banishing, as well as new starts, as it is both the end and the beginning, it can be used both ways. The waxing crescent. This phase between the new moon and the first quarter where the moon is growing. This crescent happens on day three of the moon cycle and is wonderful for creating plans and constructive magic. First quarter. The first quarter happens at day seven. This is when the moon looks half full. Common intentions here are growth, strength spells, and receiving love. Waxing gibbous. This is when the moon is almost full, somewhere around day 11. Spells for success, health, motivation, and rituals for the final stages of a plan are best during this time. The full moon, the time that every witch loves, or most witches. 
I'm sure there are a lot of witches that prefer other phases of the moon, but this is definitely my favorite phase. I don't care really when, how many full moons I see in my lifetime, I will always love looking at the full moon in the dark of night. Similar to using the high noon sun, protection, banishing, and illuminating what is in the shadows. This is also the best time to charge your crystals and tools and cleanse them by leaving them out in the moonlight overnight. While the moon is only 100% full for a few moments, full moon energy lasts for the day before and the day after between days 13 and 15. Waning gibbous. Seen around day 18, when the moon is starting to return to nothing, the crescent is on the opposite side of the waxing gibbous. As the light of the moon is fading, this is a good time to cleanse negativity, undoing hexes, and getting rid of energies that no longer serve you. Last quarter. Another phase where the moon is half covered, but beginning to disappear. This is a good phase to perform spells that will help you with cleaning or shedding away, breaking bad habits, getting rid of negativity either in the form of a physical being or a negative thought pattern. Seen around day 21 in the moon cycle. Waning Crescent. The phase right before the new moon, around day 25, it is almost completely gone. This phase is good for meditating, balancing and healing spells, and meditating can be a type of self-spell, where you set up an area just like in a ritual and commune with your spirit guides or dive into the deeper self. Again, this may seem pretty self-explanatory, like who you are performing your spell for, but this can be muddled with intention. You should be really honest with yourself about why you are in fact performing the spell you are. Are you doing it to help someone? Are you doing it for money? Are you doing it in order to get something you wouldn't achieve by any other means? And I'm not saying that whatever your reason is, is wrong, but don't tell yourself you're just going to perform a spell for someone and not have any gain from it. You can help people and get retribution for it, so don't fake your spirituality or your true intention because that can muck up a spell as easily as a tornado rips through a house, with possibly similar consequences. Whatever your why happens to be, make sure you're being honest with yourself before you start casting. Which is the method of which you choose to carry out your spell. Again, your method can be as simple as just speaking your intention over a candle and letting it burn out. Bam! Easy, simple, and inexpensive. If you were doing a spell that you want to keep with you, you'd want to be able to carry it. So using jars or sachets would be the way to go. Spells like protection or good luck or safe travel are best this way. Especially if you were making them yourself, but they can be manipulated to fit in pockets or hidden in your glove box. The only problem is that herb crumbs can be small enough to leak out everywhere depending on what you're using, which can be pretty smelly. If you are trying to hide what your spell is, this might not be the best way to go. Jars are a little better because they won't spill once sealed, but they do have the risk of breaking if you are using glass. There are always the plastic options, but just something to think about. The most popular spell I see performed because they are easy and kind of inherently witchy. You can carve runes or sigils into them, dress them in essential oils, speak your intention, and let them burn down and out. If there's anything left of the candle, you bury it in the ground. Can be performed on the fly like the first one I mentioned. If you want to perform a complex or detailed spell, make sure you outline it and create a plan so that you can set yourself up for the best results. Spells are messy and fun, but if you're the kind of person who doesn't like being flustered, like yours truly, I suggest making a kind of plan to keep you on track. about spell work is that you can be as creative or as simple with it as you want. Really, you are going to make the best spell for you. So just do whatever you it is that you want, realistically. 
The universe or your deities will know if you're being simple and easy or just lazy and not wanting to put in the effort that your intention truly deserves. So the bottom line is always be honest with your intentions. That is the end of this episode. Make sure to subscribe for new episodes and updates and leave a review if you can. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and newly to YouTube with subtitles for the hearing impaired. If you're on Instagram or Twitter, swing by my page under the same handle, a witch alone. And if you follow, make sure you say hi. I love meeting new followers. Next time, we will be continuing with basic practice with the episode Solitary versus Coven. Until next time, blessings.